Good morning, boys and girls. My goodness, chapter eight was a little bit scary. I cannot believe how absolutely cruel and selfish that Ashlack's uncle really is. Not a very kind man, and indeed a selfish one, to want to hurt his own family in order to simply claim land and wealth. I really do hope that Ashlack is okay after his fall and after the pain that his uncle inflicted upon him. And a part of me also wonders if Merja and the rest of Ashlack's siblings will really believe their uncle and follow him, or if they will be clever enough to do that, knowing that Ashlack has a plan of his own. We're going to have to wait and find out as we begin Chapter 9 in The Secret Journey of the Silver Reindeer. Ashlack did not stir until his uncle had been out of sight a long time. Then his strength returned. He found he could move. Painfully, he crawled to the mossy patch, found his knife, and cut the lasso from his neck. Standing, he discovered none of his bones broken, but he was bruised from the fight and aching from the climb. He knew that sleep was the only healer close at hand, so he wrapped himself in Mersh's dress, with the, which his uncle had left behind. He put on his own valuable hat and rolled under the shelter of the rock and slept. He awoke to the same bright light of the unsetting sun. Eating dried reindeer tongue and cheese and some rock sugar restored his strength. He packed his few bundles and Merge's clothes inside his tunic. Before he added the magic drum, he studied it carefully. It did look like blind Kusimas, and it would be like Dira to have stolen such a thing from a defenseless man. Ashlack tapped his fingers on it softly, and then, fearing what he did not know about it, quickly stored it away in his blouse. He set out for the south by a different pass than that his uncle would use for the herd. He climbed and descended stony ridges and crossed moth-covered plateaus. He found tiny freshets of the purest water to drink and occasional berries to eat. He slept when he could no longer march on and marched on when he could no longer sleep. Part of him found great joy in the freedom of traveling without the chores and worries of the herd and his brothers and sisters. The grandeur of the sky and the mountains gave him peace. But the other part of him worried about his family and the treatment they would receive on the trail from his uncle. He wondered if they would think he was really dead and how much they would miss him. After a few days of walking, he came to the region where mountains alternated with valleys slanting to the southeast, and the freshets became brooks that sparkled into streams, that swept into rivers or swelled into lakes. 
Soon there should be a river that would lead him to the plateau of the summer roundup. But even if he stood on tiptoe on a peak of the highest mountain, he could not peer beyond the horizon to see which was the right river. The sun rolling about the horizon gave him no clue. There was no one to consult. Ashlack had never felt so alone in his life. But on the next day, he saw over the horizon on the southeast a flock of eagles and, deciding to take them as a sign, followed the first brook leading in their direction. For three days he descended from the mountains, while the voice of the brook changed from its first small babble over pebbles to a deeper conversation with its stones and its fish. Now the dwarf willows and birches occasionally edged its banks, and with each hour Ashlack longed to catch a sight of a column of smoke in the sky, or to look up at the white of the snowfields on the lower mountains to see reindeer moving, or even to hear a dog bark. For some laps measure distance by sound, and say that something is as far away as a Benny Gulam, or as far as a dog's bark is heard. And with each hour he worried more that he had taken a river valley that would not open into a big plateau, but instead cross above it and lead him to only more mountains. Ashlack saw no sign that a herd of reindeer had traveled before him, nor heard any sign that they might be close behind. He began getting frustrated with himself for entrusting the children and the herd to his uncle's greed. At one night, he woke from an ugly dream, thinking that he had heard voices, and saw a mother bear fishing in the stream with her cubs. As he was defenseless, except for a knife and his lasso, he lay still and did not move until they splashed out of sight. Then, with another day's travel, he saw, looking as tiny as gadflies, reindeer on his snowfield, far ahead on his left. Ashlack leapt for joy, and then began a joik about his journey, singing as he ran. And in that burst of happiness jogging on the bank of the stream, he suddenly slipped on a sharp stone. He heard the crack of a bone as his ankle twisted, and he fell heavily. When Ashlack tried to stand, he nearly fainted from the pain. Despair overcame him, for how could he go on? He had no reindeer to ride, no ski sticks for a splint. He was helpless, while the pain of his leg pushed along his back and weakened even his arms. Slowly, Ashlack dragged himself to a large rock and leaned against it, half hidden from the passing stream. He fell into a dazed sleep. When at last Ashlack woke, he woke to find a mist sweeping down the valley, so dense that he could scarcely see across the river. The cold numbed his pain, but he knew that it could also kill him. Somehow he had to find help. But just then, out of the mist sounds, 
swelled against his ear and drummed against his mind. The sounds were the clicking of thousands of reindeer hooves and the grunting of a large herd. Bells ran through his aching head and dogs barked. Any second he expected to be engulfed in the rush of reindeer as they dashed past his rock. Surely he could make himself heard to any person who followed them, even if it only could be his uncle. He cried out, Here I am! Here! Come and help me! But to his despair, he realized the herd was on the farthest bank of the river, and the noise was such that no one paid him heed nor did anyone see him through the mist. Ashlack knew it could only be one herd, that now led by his uncle. If only he could hear his sister's voices, high and light as the blue-throat song, and know they were safely back to the world of people. But he still must get safely back too, for unless he could be there to tell the truth about all that had happened, his uncle would deceitfully produce the box in which he would have already substituted half a nugget that would match the one marked with his name, and how in the mayor's office, for safekeeping, it now lay. Ashlack must find a way to get there. He wondered if some kator of the summer campground were as near as the sound of a dog's bark. He threw back his head and howled, but there was no reply. The sound of the herd had long since faded. For some time the mist trapped him in desolation, and then, silently, it disappeared. Shapes of rocks and tiny trees and ptarmigan berry bushes returned. He shifted against the rock, and inside his tunic the magic drum slipped. His elbow struck it, and made it vibrate. Quickly, Ashlack pulled it out, closing his eyes and thinking only of being heard. Ashlack beat upon the skin over and over, on and on, until his hand and arm ached. When he thought he could no longer go on, there was a rustle of sound, and a white owl floated up from a bend in the river. Then the pad of paws suddenly seemed loud on the stones as a white dog came to him and threw back his head and howled. And walking over the stones, as easily as if they were a solid crust of snow, came Kusima. You have found my drum! Kusima stopped by the dog and stretched out his hands. Ashlack reached up and put the drum into them. I could feel its beat in my heart and its pulse in my head, even as I sat by your mayor's hearth. And did you pass my herd and my family, led by my evil uncle on your way? They are still on the far side of the river from the camp. If you hurry, you can reach the mayor's kata before they swim across. My ankle is broken said Ashlack, or I would not have sat here trying to make myself heard with your drum. How am I to hurry when I cannot walk at all? But I have brought a barca to carry you, for I felt your need, 
said Kusima. Looking up, Ashlak saw a large reindeer waiting in a patch of moss. With Kusima's help, he managed to sit in the saddle, and, holding the pommel tight, he endured the ride to the mayor's katya. Kind hands lifted him down and put him on a bench of twigs and skins outside the door, and fetched him water to drink. But Ashlek refused to lie down or take his hat from his head. Please, said the mayor, tell us what has befallen you. But before Ashlek could begin his tale, there was a great commotion at the far river bank. The famous herd of silver reindeer swam out into the stream, their magnificent antlers like a forest moving over the water. Crossing in a boat were Ashlak's two uncles and his brothers and sisters. Straight to the mayor came Diramaga. The others followed him. When Merja and Derry suddenly looked up and saw Ashlak, they screamed in fright. But Durka came running to touch his brother's hand and feel its warmth. He turned to Diramaga in fury. How could you tell us such a lie? That you heard our brother's last words. How could you make us think that he was dead? Diramaga stared down at the boys. So, Ashlak played a trick on me. He lame there and claimed he was dying, and all the time he intended to let me do the work of bringing down the herd while he ran here by himself. But for what purpose? No matter what lies and tales he has told you since he came, I bring what we agreed upon. The other half of Great Journey's Karasjoki Nugget. It is safely here in this very box of secret belongings. Ashlak has told us nothing, said the mayor. From his tunic he took out a leather pouch and unwrapped two half-nuggets. One nicked with the initials of Dira, the other with the initials of Ashlak. Kusima held out his magic drum, and the mayor placed the two halves upon it. Everyone gathered close, as Dira Maga handed the mayor Great Yurni's Maga's box. The mayor opened it and took out the half-nugget which lay within. This, he announced, I take from Great Yurni Maga's box of secret belongings. It is known as the luck of the Karasjoki, and it should fit with the half-nugget given to me last spring by Dira Maga, and marked then as his own. He picked up the piece, marked Dira, and after studying a moment, deftly fitted the halves together. Tiri and Marja and Dirka sucked in their breath and waited in suspense to see what their brother would do. Of course the two halves would fit, Ashlek spoke quickly, because on his travels here with the box he substituted half a nugget that he knew matched the half he had already given the mayor pretending it was a talisman from his father. A false talisman. For ask blind Kusima here if his tale of receiving it with a message from his father was not a lie. The mayor turned to the peddler. 
Is there truth in his tale that you brought him a talesman and a message from his father? None, said the old man. Ashlack cried out, Seize Dira and search him, for somewhere on his body or in his baggage you will find a half-nugget that I can match. For you see, I met his deceit and trickery of my own, and it was I who first reached the cave of the great hunters, and I took the box of secret belongings from my grandfather's clasp, and before I left that cave, I took the true half of the nugget from the box and placed it in a false one to deceive my uncle. "'You dare not search me!' cried Dira. "'You have no right because of a young boy's lie.' "'You lied when you told us Ashlack was dead,' Dirka shouted. "'You are the one who cannot be trusted.' Two men seized Dira's arm, and Merja said, Look in the pocket of his Astaslepa, for I saw him take out a nugget and look at it, and put it back there only last night, when he thought we were all asleep. The people looked, and there they found it, and turned to Ashlack, who took off his hat. From it he took a small bundle, and unwrapped half a nugget. This will fit the unmatched half now lying on the drum. The half my uncle took from the box when he stole it from me. But it is lucky for me that he was too greedy to throw that half away, for it proves that he stole the box and changed the nuggets. Diramaga tried to pull away from his captors. Do not believe him. He admits to trickery himself. He is only bragging that he reached the burial place of his grandfather. Silently. Ashlack took out another little packet from a peak of his hat. Silently he unwrapped the cloth, and from the moss inside plucked the ring from his grandfather's hand and the half-nugget he had first seen in the cold light of the cave. He handed it to the mayor. The mayor took up the nugget with Ashlack's mark, which he had kept. The halves did fit just as Aslak said they would. Merja, Terry, and Dirka stared at their brother in awe. You have won the right to be the head of your household and the true owner of the silver reindeer, said the mayor. I believe that you have the right half of the right nugget. But most of all, said the mayor, you proved you have the right in the way you took your deer and your household from our winter village to your summer pasture safely and with an increase in your herd. From now on, Ashlack, you will need to make no secret journeys and the name Ashlack Maga will be remembered above all people from this land from here on out. And that, boys and girls, is the end of the story of the secret journey of the Silver Reindeer. I hope you enjoyed it.